Good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening, and welcome back. Welcome back to another Porsche Cooled podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. Today is another episode of Porsche Cooled Owner Stories. Uh, this is episode, this is Porsche Cooled Owner Stories number six. Number six, yes. And today we have a special guest. We have Andrew um, joining us very shortly through Zoom. All right, because these podcasts are done through Zoom, as you know, because it's uh, connecting with other Porsche owners around the world. Uh, Andrew, I think, is from Atlanta. We'll double check that with him. Uh, Andrew is he's very well immersed into the Porsche into the Porsche world. Uh, he has a YouTube channel, uh, a reasonably new YouTube channel. He has a really cool Instagram. He makes really nice content. He takes very good photos. Uh, he puts the effort in, and he is a very, very big Porsche enthusiast. Uh, he does a lot of things to his cars. Um, I'm going to let Andrew talk about his cars. I don't want to get too much into it in the intro. So let me just connect with Zoom, um, and we'll start the Porsche Cooled Owner Stories. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled Podcast. Uh, today, I have uh, I have someone that I've been wanting to get on the podcast for some time, actually, which he probably doesn't actually realize. Um, today, we have... Um, Andrew. Uh, Andrew's from Atlanta. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Um, I'll just do a little bit of an introduction for the for the listeners first, and then we can get into it. But uh, Andrew has a, a YouTube channel called 911 South. Uh, he has a really cool Instagram with really great images of his cars that he's owned, uh, events that he goes to. Um, and I have to say, you should check it out because the production quality on Andrew's channel is uh, is is very, very good. Um, and it's worth watching, and it's got some great Porsche content. It gives me a bit of a fix when I go there, especially with uh, Andrew changing cars, which we'll get into shortly. But it seems, Andrew, you are, it seems you're really uh, experiencing the, the Porsche brand in a short amount of time based on your, um, your videos on YouTube. Yeah, it's been uh, a lot in a short period, to your point. Um, <clears throat> different cars, and then also just kind of the whole um, genesis of the channel, you know, both on Instagram and YouTube. Um, really, it's been you know, the main focus for the last year and a half to two years, but uh, I've really been part of Porsche and Porsche culture almost my whole life. Yeah. So let's, let's start with that actually, because I, you know, Porsche Cool Stories is everyone's different story. Everyone has a different story, as I say, and, and that's what the Porsche Cool Donor Stories is all about. And I think the best place to start is we start with, with the background. Um, people have memories of seeing a, a Porsche or a 911 uh, as a child, either in a magazine or they had a poster on the wall or some a family member might have had a Porsche. What were your um, first memories, Andrew, of um, of Porsche? Yeah, for me, it was definitely the family member aspect. Um, so about the age of maybe eight, nine years old, um, I can remember that uh, my dad um, was out running some errands and wanted to be sure I was going to be home. Uh, later that day, which I thought was kind of odd, um, because as an eight-year-old, you know, what did he really need me for outside of maybe some chores? Yeah. But, uh, you know, he asked that I'd be home and, um, you know, he pulled in the driveway, pulled in the garage with this um, really exotic looking black sports car. Um, and at the time, I sort of had a sense for what it was, but being so young, um, you know, didn't really have the posters and things, right. um, you know, kind of was not quite sure. And so uh, long story short, um, as a gift to himself, uh, he went out and got a 1999, 996, uh, double black cabriolet. Um, and really it was kind of a, you know, kind of a, a memento of, uh, his success. He was self-made first person to go to university or college and his whole family. And, 
you know, some people, you know, go out and get a Rolex or, you know, yeah, things like yeah. that. You know, this was his kind of thing to say, look, I've really worked hard and I want to have something to remember that by that I'm going to keep for a long time. So um, that was the first exposure. And it was really um, something that he and I bonded over tremendously. Um, we did events with that car uh, throughout my entire childhood, um, really for, uh, you know, 10 plus, 15 years. How old were you, Andrew, when he bought the car? Uh, I was about eight, um, eight years oh, old okay. when he got the car. So we did uh, almost everything with that car from Concours, uh, you know, full Concours, really cleaning the car up. Uh, you know, it was certainly easier when it was uh, pretty much new um, to do that all the way to the other end of the spectrum of DE and tracking the car and everything in between. So we really got, I think, as many experiences out of that car together as possible. And how long did your father keep the car for? Did he keep it for a long time or he sold it? When you were still a child? I actually kept it his whole life. Um, so from that point until uh, that two and a half, three years ago, um, he had that car. And so um, it's something that was super special to him. Um, and unfortunately, he passed about three years ago. Um, but when he did, he um, you know, specifically wanted me to have the car. My mom is, is still around, you know, which I'm super thankful for, of course. And um, that was the one thing that he really wanted to pass on directly to me, um, right. just to be able to continue kind of that memory and that experience. So, um, so you know, really for the better part of 20 or so years, he had that car. I was going to ask you that, actually, because I knew that your first, uh, and I'm, I knew your first car was a 99996 Cabriolet. So that's the car we're talking about? It is. That was his car. Wow. So that... So what was it like when you, and I know it's a really sad, it's not, you know, a happy occasion, your father passing and, and, but to take that car and to drive it for the first time to actually know that that was your car and that was your father's car for 20 years, how did that feel? Uh, you know, a whole range of emotions, honestly. Um, you know, I think the one thing that was so interesting is that I had driven that car so many times for yeah. all these events we had done together and whatnot, but it felt completely different driving it, knowing it was mine to now take care of and to kind of carry forward. Um, you know, I don't know exactly how to explain that, but you know, it's strange to have driven something so often, but not really feel ownership around it until that moment. So I, I felt a sense of, um, you know, needing to carry that forward. Um, but, you know, honestly speaking, it was also bittersweet, right? I mean, um, it's not a, you know, happy thing to lose a family member. And so uh, it came with a little bit of, um, you know, nostalgia in both a good way and probably uh, in a negative way as well. In some cases. So I, I, I guess it's hard though, because, you know, that's, that's your first 911 and it was a 996 Cabriolet in black, correct? And it was correct. manual or Tiptronic? It was Tiptronic. Tiptronic, yep. Tiptronic. Um, and that that's on your channel because that was one of the first cars I saw in your in your videos. Was it difficult? Because tell the tell the listeners you don't actually still own that car. So when you sold that car, um, was that a difficult decision for you with so much so much uh, you know history behind it and so much with your father and and growing up? Yeah, I would say yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that I almost felt you know sort of an obligation right to carry that car forward in his memory. So in that essence, it was difficult. But the other thing I would say is um, I'm very much about personalization. Um, I have a pretty strong sense, I think, of personal style. And so what I realized after driving that vehicle for about a year and a half is that um, what I would want to do to it and use, you know, and personalize and change about it, honestly, would probably take away a bit from what it was, um, yes. which was kind of this memory of my father. And so I felt like it really was a a good time to move on. And then okay. the other 
element is that, you know, I really wanted to experience other parts of the brand. I mean, we had shared that experience with that car for so many years and there just was so much more out there that is Porsche that I wanted. So to, let, uh, let's get into that because I know a lot of listeners and, and I have a lot of listeners from the US and UK, but a lot of people are interested in the 996. Um, they, they are interested. The 996 seems to be the thing at the moment that everyone wants to know about. And I guess it's because it's a car that people can get into easy. You know what I mean? It's, it's not that expensive. It has issues which can be sort of, you know, fixed uh, and that's like the entry level. So there's a lot of interest in the 996. Do you think it's a great car for a, a, someone that's coming into the Porsche brand and wants a, a first 911? I really do. Um, you know, I think Porsche gets an interesting reputation of being sort of unattainable. Um, and, you know, I think that's easy to feel that way when you're at the dealership and you see cars between, you know, 70 or 80,000 US and you know, three or 400,000 US. Yes. But really the 996 is um, the 911 that gives people no excuses, in my opinion, that if you have an interest in this brand, um, it's an amazing jumping off point. Um, the gentleman I sold mine to here in the States uh, was his first Porsche and first 911. His son was about eight years old. Um, which was quite ironic. And that was precisely what I was talking to him about back and forth when he was interested is this is so much car for the money. Um, you know, why go out and spend 20 or 30,000 US on just a regular run of the mill sedan that has no spirit, life, interest, excitement. Yeah. When yeah you true, true. driving a 911, right? Yeah. So it's an incredible bang for the buck. All right. So then uh, you basically went from, let's call it, let's call it the ugly duckling because people still think the 996 is ugly. I'm, I'm not on that on that side, I think that 996 is, a, is getting better with age. Um, and I know the headlights are always a, a sense of a, a disagreement with people. But you went from something that's co- like, is like an ugly sort of 911. And then you go searching and you think, okay, I want an air-cooled 911. So what did you start searching for when you decided, okay, I'm going to sell the, the 996 and I'm going to buy an air-cooled? Did you go straight into the, the one that you purchased after that? Or did you look at 964s, etc.? Yeah, first step really was, uh, I was very much on the fence between a 964-983. You know, to your point, I was coming from, you know, as you said, the ugly duckling. And so um, part of me loved the styling cues of the 964 um, with the upright headlights. Um, And of course, it has massive popularity around the world, especially here in the U.S. at the moment. Um, But for me, uh, the other thing that I was really dead set on with the air-cooled purchase was... I wanted to daily drive the car for at least a year um, because not a lot of people do that. And just, I wanted to experience that just like, you know, could see what that's like and have, you know, something to bring to the channel around that. And so ultimately after kind of researching and test driving, I settled on the 993 um, mostly because of the, you know, you know, albeit not modern day, but certainly more creature comforts um, yes. around maybe better working AC and those kinds of things. So um, went 993 and then started the search pretty heavily around where to find one of those, because of course that's um, the harder part once you decided you want one. Yeah. And then was, was price a, a consideration here? Because the 964, I mean, I know in, I mean, I'm in Bahrain, but I also spend time in the UK and, I, and my car is actually, my 997 is in Australia. I'm originally from Australia. But was, is the 964 still, it's much higher in price uh, than the 993 in the US? Yeah, the price was a consideration. Um, I would say there's uh, typically at least a ten to $20,000 spread on um, kind of equal examples of the 993 to 964 here in the States. And so that was another kind of challenge was, you know, spend another 20000 US dollars on a 964. And then they also um, can have more problems, not 
you know, guaranteed, but you know, the top end rebuild and just some of the other things that come with a nine, six, four as potential yes. costs down the road. Yeah. Um, whereas the nine, nine threes are known for being a little bit more reliable at engines, a little bit more quote, say bulletproof. So that definitely played into my decision on the nine, nine, three. Yeah. And you come across as a person that would do a lot of research before you purchase a car. You seem to, you seem to make the decisions quite quickly when you're watching your, your channel, your videos on your channel, you seem to be quite quick. You, you, you make the decision quickly, or it appears that you make a decision quickly. Do you do a lot of research? Do you, you know, are you a PPI person? Do you get a pre-purchase inspection? Yeah, it's a little of both. Um, I'm interested. I function in a very strange way, maybe in that sense that um, I do a tremendous amount of research. Um, I do get PPIs. Um, you know, I pay for the, you know, four to six hundred dollar PPI, not the yeah. one hundred and seventy five dollar one. So I do a ton of research. Once I sort of think about something in terms of, hey, I want to get an air cooled nine eleven, I kind of throw myself into it completely. Um, I spend a lot of time, uh, a lot of research in a short amount of time. And then once I've come to a conclusion on what I want to do, I tend to be incredibly quick to act on that. Um, right, right. And so it's it's a both uh, in-depth sort of uh, research piece, but also just being sure of my decision and just moving forward with it. Um, I don't have a whole lot of hesitation on this. And when you're, when you're looking for a car, so when you looked for your 993, and I, I know the story behind it, but I'll let you explain it to the listeners. Um, when you buy your 993, is, is mileage that something com- is something that comes into it? Are you looking for a low mileage example or you, you're not fussed? You think it's better if it's got high mileage, it's more reliable? Tell everyone about, your, about the 993 that you purchased because it's a really interesting purchase, I think. And, and I like how you one of the deciding factors was you wanted it to be like a daily car. You wanted it to be a car that your wife could drive. Um, so certain specs were important to you. Yeah, absolutely. So for mileage, um, I actually went and sought out a higher mileage car uh, for a couple of reasons. Like you said, it was going to be a daily driver. So no sense in paying the extra cost on a you know 30,000 mile example if I'm going to put you know a bunch of miles on it. Um, the other reason being that, uh, you know, well, two more reasons, one price, obviously the higher mileage cars come in at a much more palatable price point. And then, um, the last one is that I really wanted one that was driven sort of just enough. And by that, I mean, um, not driven, you know, 200 miles a year, but not driven 10,000 miles a year either. Yeah. And so ultimately I settled on something in maybe the 75 to hundred, maybe 125,000 mile range. For that model year, it's a 22 year old, 23 year old car, right? So that equates to a few thousand miles a year. That means someone's been taking it out probably in the good months um, and, you know, putting it through its paces. I'm a firm believer in the fact that these engines in these 911s need to be exercised. Yeah, um, they were not built to, you know, stay under 1500 RPM and they weren't built to be driven three times a year. That's just, they don't operate properly under that condition. So um, those pieces, the Tiptronic, um, you know, piece of the 993 was another um, spec I was looking for. Um, it certainly played in my favor from a price standpoint. Obviously, those are cheaper than, um, you know, a manual transmission. Yes. Uh, but to your point, I wanted something that, you know, others in my family could drive and experience. Um, so I kind of put all that together, started doing the research um, and, and went out there to try to find one, um, which is can be a bit of a needle in a haystack. Is the, is the Tiptronic in the 993 reliable? I don't know much about it. Uh, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I'd say it's reliable. It's a four speed Tetronic. The thing that um, you really just have to drive it a bit. And then it's incredibly useful, in my opinion. Um, you know, first gear doesn't give you a whole lot um, yeah. to be expected. But second and third gear are pretty robust. 
um, and actually took that 993 up on several trips to the mountains and drove it quite aggressively and found that um, the Tiptronic was a pleasure to drive. Um, the ability to, um, you know, daily drive and stop and go traffic and automatic and then do that in the mountains is a luxury. It's not obviously far cry from PDK or anything you could get today, yeah. but uh, for, its, for its time, I think it was well done. No, I think it's I think it's interesting that you bought a Tiptronic because I did an owner's story, which is going live tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, and that was with Craig, who's in Australia. He's another Australian. He bought a 997 Carrera 4 and he bought a Tiptronic as well. And he he said he's quite happy with it. And I think he bought it as well because he wanted his wife to drive the car. So similar similar reasons why, you know what I mean? Um, and we always we all know in the Porsche community that everyone's hung up on manual and you should get a manual. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, that you actually went forward and you got a Tiptronic because you are a real enthusiast. I see you as a very, you know, enthusiast Porsche person. You're, you're heavily involved in the Porsche community where you live, you know, you do videos. Um, so did anyone give you any flack because you bought a Tiptronic? Oh, absolutely. It wouldn't be a uh, Porsche community. If they didn't, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> no, I definitely think that, uh, there were plenty of people that said, gosh, you know, why would you get an air-cooled Porsche not in a manual? But, yeah. you know, I think once I talked to them and educated them a little bit, you know, they understood um, my reasoning and understood that, honestly, with the right operator, that Tiptronic transmission can be quite fun and spirited. Yeah. Um, not too dissimilar than to your earlier point about the um, headlights on the 996. I mean, I think it's one of those knee-jerk Porsche idiosyncrasies that once you actually ask somebody, well, you know, wh what is, aside from just, you've heard this from a hundred other people or saw it on the forums. Why do you think it's the manual transmission is so important? Mm, and mm. a lot of times they don't necessarily have a whole lot of basis for yeah, that. People, besides, yeah. Just going from the floor. Other people, right? yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so the 993, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm just interested. The 993, the 996 you had was a Tiptronic and then you went to a 993. So the air cool generation uh, before it, was there a big difference in the transmission? Um, not so much in, well, yes, in the transmission, but what really blew me away was the difference in the car. Um, right. What I tell a lot of people that I think was super unique about that ownership experience is that I own two vehicles that were two years apart and they felt like they were more than 20 years apart right. in terms right. of everything, interior cockpit, field drive, sound. I mean, it's remarkable the transition that took place within Porsche between 97 and 99. Yeah, true, true. Now the 993. Let's let's. Uh, I know these videos are on your YouTube channel, but it was in silver, correct? It's not Arctic. Is it Arctic silver or is it just silver? It is. Arctic, Arctic silver. Yeah. So same color yeah. as my 997. So it was Arctic silver. And as a bit of an intro, Andrew bought this car. Um, it was pretty stock standard. It looked reasonably stock standard. And Andrew does a lot of things with his car. And I have to say, what you did when you just before you sold that car, and I'm guessing when you had those photos taking at Winning Auto or whatever the company was that did the photographs for you, that was just about when you were about to trade up because um, you don't have this car anymore. Um, so just tell the listeners, uh, just give them a bit of an insight into what you decided to do to your 993. Oh, first, actually, Andrew, you didn't buy the car in the US either, did you? Was that an easy process? Can you explain that? Uh, just talk about that briefly. Yes, I can. Um, I'll I'll try to condense about eight to 10 weeks of um, frustration into... Uh, <laughs> really? Seconds. Was that bad? <laughs> so I bought the car in Canada. Um, it was in Toronto. Um, you know, that was part of just the reality of 993s. You have to kind of go where they are. Yes. Um, but also price-wise, I got an incredible deal vehicle. 
Um, and I think it was mostly because a lot of people didn't want to deal with an import. Um, and so there are deals to be had north of the border here if you live in the U.S. and you're listening to this. Um, really, it should have been a very easy process. Um, there's really two main components. There's emissions and there's safety. I had all, uh, as you said, I do a lot of research, right? So I had yeah. all my paperwork, of course, pre-filled out. Everything good to go. I go to Toronto. I get a PPI. The car checks out. Um, I drive it back to the border. And I'm um, supposed to be able to import it at the border. I drove it home. I wanted to have that experience of road tripping from Toronto back to Atlanta. Um, crossed the Niagara Falls, saw the waterfall, went to customs. Um, and I could have imported it right there and then. And it would have been a two-day process. Right. Had it not been for uh, me needing to change out the gauge face from kilometers per hour to miles per hour. So oh, okay. Yep. That was the one Achilles heel in the entire process. I pre-ordered that, brought it with me, and brought a screwdriver. And just taking care of that before I had driven it home, I would have driven across the border and it'd be imported. Okay. Um, so the gentleman up there was very nice. He sent me in. He said, you live uh, in Atlanta. There happens to be a customs and border office there. Change the gates face, go down. They'll take care of it. No problem. Um, long story short, it took another eight weeks because um, they've never, I think, had somebody in Atlanta drive a vehicle up to the door to import. It's an airport. And so they're used to air cargo. Oh, right. Um, not people driving a 22 year old Porsche, you know, yeah. asking someone to help them. So took quite a while um, to get through just them understanding how to do it. But ultimately I did it. A lot of people asked me, should they do it? Would I, you know, recommend it? Is it a total pain? I would do it again, frankly. Um, the gauge face is important. Don't forget that part, but it, um, you know, it's a great way to get a good deal on a car, in my opinion, um, if you can find the right one. Yeah. I know when I'm, when I'm, uh, looking at bring a trailer as I do for Porsches that have a sale because I'm, I'm looking at 912. So I look at 912s that come up. I want like a really slow old classic 912. Don't ask me why, but I, I, I've been obsessing about it for months now. Um, and always the question that always comes up when a Canadian car comes up is, you know, what are the extra fees? What are the extra duties? And is it going to pass smog or your smog regulations or whatever? Are they the main things that you have to be concerned about apart from the changing the kilometers to miles? Um, they're the main things. Yeah. So um, in the States, at least, if the car is over 25 years old, there are very few requirements. So um, that's also kind of the upside. If you're looking at um, one of the earlier 993s at this point, um, I think a 95 would just be crossing this or uh, a 964 or 912, for instance, then 25 years plus here in the US, it's very easy to import a car um, for the most part. Um, right. The emissions, for instance, don't even come into play. Um, they get a grandfathered sort of waiver for that. Yes. Um, but for mine, it was emissions, um, which was uh, compliant. A number of Canadian vehicles that were delivered uh, had special plates inside the car that certified them as US EPA certified. Okay. That's something Porsche was sort of dual certifying on a regular basis. Um, so that was one thing to just look for in the photos before I went up to go get the car. Um, and safety is um, a little bit trickier, but usually what you have to get is a letter from Porsche um, on their letterhead that certifies the car that was delivered to Canada or wherever it was met the same state safety standards as the U.S. requirements in that model year. So obviously not right. current standards, but um, you know, you can get that letter. I happen to live 20 minutes from PCNA's headquarters here in Atlanta. So oh, that's super good. helpful. Um, and they were incredibly easy to work with great customer service. They do those letters all day, every day. So really it's emissions and the safety piece um, that played mostly into it. Okay. And this was this was at the end of uh, 2019, wasn't it? When you picked up the 993, is that correct? It was, yeah. 
So you picked up the 993 and you decided, and you decided, I'm going to do all these these mods. I'm going to do all these updates to the car. I have to say, I really, really liked your wheels. I thought the wheels, the wheels and the calipers were the were the the pick for me. They look fantastic on the on the 993 and the body kit as well. Actually, when you put the body kit on as well, the turbo body kit, wasn't it? So I know these videos are on your channel, but uh, let's just. Tell the listeners this quickly because people are interested in 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 updating their their 911. So, what mods did you do when you when you picked up the car? Uh, yeah, so like you said, the car was about as bone stock as it comes um, when I purchased it. The only kind of maybe upgrade you could say it had was a split rear grill, um, right. but other than that, it was stock. And so, for me, I almost never keep a car that way. Um, I always like to put my personal signature on these cars. Yeah. Um, that said, I also think there's an upper limit. And so I always kind of try to find the sweet spot I would refer to as OEM plus, right. Um, where I want the car to look period correct and, you know, have elements that maybe look like they could have been from 97, <laughs> yeah. um, and, but are but, my own flavor and mixture of things as well. But Andrew, it looks like you, it. sorry for interrupting. It looks like you spent a lot of money on your upgrades. That's how it well, came across with the, with the seats yeah. and the rough, the wheels. It looks like there was... You know, you invested a lot of money in that car. I would say I invested a lot less than you probably think I did. Um, So the roof wheels are what they are. They're not inexpensive. Um, I did get those all the way from Germany. It took about eight weeks to get here. Um, But uh, I got a really good deal on those. Um, They retail for about, you know, call it five grand. I got them for almost half that price. Wow. That's um, fantastic. A distributor in Vancouver that was running a massive sale and was struggling. It's one of their worst distributors worldwide. So they're moving product. Um, you know, the body kit was, uh, like you said, a turbo S look, it's called air kit two. It's a factory option 97. Uh, that was a, you know, collection of, uh, a fronts, you know, fender or excuse me, front bumper here and a rear wing there. And, you know, just kind of pulling those pieces and sourcing each one individually save, you know, 700 here and 500 there. And, um, so, you know, with careful research, um, you can pull these bills together. Sorry, Andrew, they were used parts, were they, for the body kit? Mix. Uh, side skirts were OEM new. Uh, front and rear were used. But they're all OEM parts, right? They're not replica parts. They're all OEM parts. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of it's just sourcing um, and trying to find those parts and being patient, I think, um, to find the right deal. Um and also just having good uh, people locally. So I have great relationships with various shops. Uh, I've got a body shop here in town in particular that um, I work with very closely. Um, so that's the other piece of it is the cost of this is really dependent on a lot of the labor. You know, can I pick up a part that is OEM but is used but requires some additional prep and kind of work? Um, you know, yes, because I have the right people here in Atlanta to you know, kind of finesse and kind of work with some parts uh, that don't have to be factoring out of the box all the time. So it's a mix of sourcing and also relationships on the um, install side that I think make those bills work for, you know, a lot less than you might think. Yeah, that's what I've spoken about before on many of the podcasts, actually. It's about knowing the right guys, isn't it? It's, it's about having those connections. And the more, you're, you, the more you're in the Porsche community, the more guys you meet, the more people that can help you that source parts or do the body work or do the repairs or whatever. And it's about getting those right people, uh, you know, to, to be there when you need them. Um, and that just comes with owning, uh, owning a few 911s, I guess. It just comes with time and eventually you'll have a whole selection of people that can, you know, help you. And especially in your local area, which is great because you're based in, you're based in a good area in the U.S. where there's lots of um, car supplies and car parts and car repairers, et cetera, right? 
Yeah, I am. And uh, that is really what it's about. Um, you know, I really try to pay that forward as often as possible um, with our group and our community here and try to be a resource that if I found a great, um, you know, wheel refinishing guy or body shop or one of those kinds of things, I really try to share that with everybody because, um, you know, again, I think that's one of those barriers to entry with Porsche ownership that I just hate. I wish more people felt confident in the fact that they can buy one of these things and the cost of ownership can be, you know, relatively reasonable, which I mean, you know, the parts are not inexpensive, but they're not, it's not as prohibitively expensive as I think people think it is. No, I agree with you. It's not, it's not that bad. And I always, I always go back to when I used to own an Audi uh, and the Audi used to actually at the end when it was getting high kilometers actually cost me, it was costing me more than what my 911, my 997 cost me now. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, not sure, it's not that it's not that bad. Do you know what I mean? And it depends on who you get it serviced with. It, of course, if you don't just go to specialists or you go to the Porsche dealer, which you don't. Um, but you know, the Audi was actually costing me probably about the same. And then even insurance for a Porsche, everyone always thinks that insurance is is really high if you have a 911. It's actually not that high, correct? Yeah, that's um, you know, it's all based on value, right? So if it's a got a value of 60,000 US dollars. I mean, they could care less if it's a 911 or a, you know, brand new Ford pickup truck. Um, True. Just looking at the overall value of the car. So yeah, I think that's a piece of it. And then, you know, DIY is another element from maintenance to the builds. Um, so one of the other things that I do a lot of is my own work, um, you know, where I'm comfortable. I always try to pick a few things yeah. um, every year to learn that I haven't done before. I mean, the information is out there um, and there's no better way to get to know your vehicle than, you know, doing some of these. So on the 993, on that build, I'd say 30, maybe 30% or more of the work um, I did myself. So like the calipers are a good example. I refinished those here at my garage. Oh, did you? Um, you know, saved probably, you know, $1,000 at least, maybe $1,500 on caliper refinishing. Yeah. Because the calipers look like they were quality finish. I didn't realize you did those even the, them yourself. They're, they're, they yeah, look yeah. really good. And was what was the thing about the green? Why did you pick the green? Well, so uh, I wanted to do a color and um, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. My wife is um, very talented and gifted from a design and aesthetic standpoint. Um, most of that uh, examples in our home, but um, I wanted to get her opinion on what I should do with the calipers. I got a bunch of samples um, in terms of paint. And then also knew I wanted to do color accented matching seatbelts. So I got a bunch of seatbelt samples, um, yep. brought those back showed her some options was kind of leaning towards a green or a blue and um there was one green that she sort of was leaning to and liked and um when i was cleaning up our basement i was moving around these roof wheel boxes uh, yep. from the wheels and uh, you know those are certainly something you want to keep if you ever want to sell the wheels and so i was putting them in a safe place and it uh, dawned on me that the green that she had been leaning towards was almost identical to the green from their logo. Right. And so that really clicked for me as a very subtle reference. I'm a big fan of, you know, things that are not too much like in your face that kind of require a little bit of thought. So um, it is the roof green, call it, okay. um, which is kind of an homage to those roof wheels. Yeah. Uh, and then I color matched the interior seatbelts to that as well. Yeah, and then you you had other accents in green as well, didn't you? In the in the frunk as well, did you didn't you do something in I the did. frunk where they had green as well? I did. So I did uh, sort of an RS frunk modification. So removed all the carpeting and kind of tidied everything up. Put in a um, hard surface uh, sort of floorboard, and then the car came um, with a uh, like a strut tower brace, 
Um, and so I refinished that in the same uh, roof green just to match it, that it, it looked fantastic, actually. People should you, check out that video on Andrew's channel because actually the, the 993 build series, isn't it? There's a, quite, there's a few videos there for the 993 build series. Um, <clears throat> and it really did, in the end, when you finished with it, Andrew, it, did, it looked fantastic. Thank you. So the seats. Tell me about the seats that you put in the 903 and tell the listeners about the seats. What, what were those seats? Uh, so the seats I got from a gentleman in California out in San Francisco. Um, I really wanted to do uh, sort of a, um, you know, kind of vintage look in a seat, um, sort of inspired by, say, a singer type of build, right? Yeah. Um, but again, not at a singer price. And so that's always where I'm trying to find this balance between look and affordability with these builds. And so I went online, I started searching, found two locations that make, um, you know, kind of vintage style seats. Um, this was a smaller shop of the two, um, right. spoke directly with the gentleman and everything on his website was listed for a 964. Um, but he had these beautiful Le Mans series um, basket weave uh, black leather seats, uh, basket weave inserts. Um, again, very much like you'd see in like a singer build. Um, but he kept telling me they're for a 964. And, you know, he um, spoke French. So there's a little bit of language barrier as well. And um, so I said, well, you know, I'm pretty sure that the seat rail, you know, configuration is identical for the 993. Yeah. I said, just ship me the seats. You know, I think I can make this work. Um, you know, again, I had my mindset to something and I wasn't going <laughs> to take no for an answer. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so we're back and forth. He doesn't want to ship them. Finally, I said, look, I, I promise in writing, I will pay to ship these back if they don't work. I'm not going to try to screw you on the shipping or anything. So he ships them. Lo and behold, they fit like a glove. Um, I hope that he's put 993 all over his website now so he can double his market share. But, uh, yeah, but I got them seats. and they were, they were very affordable. So, you know, again, I think people see seats like that and they assume maybe a five or $6,000 price point for a set. Absolutely. Um, I can tell you they were less than half of that price. Really? Wow. Um, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So you're very good at finding things. You're very good at searching out these things. I like to think so. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, it's by sheer will. Um, but uh, yeah, between the sourcing and the DIY, um, I think that's how I've been able to save a lot on this build. So here's the question. <clears throat> the 993 is now gone. You decided to part with it. When you sold the 993, did you leave all of the additions that you added to the car uh, on the car or did you sell some of the things separately and put the car back to stock? I left everything on. Um, and, you know, the decision to sell the 993 um, was sort of unexpected to an extent. Um, but the person I sold it to actually applied the value associated with everything I had done to the car um to what they were willing to give me for the car and right. so everything stayed on it when i sold it so you owned that car for one year or less uh just over one year just over one year <clears throat> so then you thought okay i've got an air-cooled 993 i've got the the pinnacle of the air-cooled range that people want the 993 or the 996 no, the 964 is what people are always searching for um and then you go nope i'm gonna go and get something else so what did you what what have you just bought andrew uh, so I now have a build in progress that is based on a 2014 991.1 uh, Porsche Carrera S. And it's manual or PDK? PDK. Okay, so when you when you were looking for a 991, um, and I think I know the answer, but when you were looking for the 991, um, 
the point one was obviously important to you for price and and for and for the engine. And what were the main options that you knew that the 991 uh, Carrera S had to have? Yeah, so dot one was where I focused. Um, you know, really the the impetus for this build was that I wanted to. Uh, I had experienced the air cooled side of Porsche and the nostalgia and all that. I really wanted to experience the performance side of the car and the brand. Um, so I wanted to get a nine nine one, but I wanted to do dot one, like you said, for price point, um, but also for the naturally aspirated engine. That was important to me. Um, yeah. I think when you own a nine nine three, nine six four engine sound is a big deal in those cars and it kind of hooks you a bit in my opinion yes. um not that the uh, 3.8 na and the 991 sounds like a 993 but the concept is the same right that's part of the driving experience so um look for dot ones and really was faced with this decision of okay i know i'm going to do a build on this car i'm not going to keep it stock so a which 991 uh carrera carrera s gts or gt3 Yep. And then B, what options within those? And so after, you know, uh, another deep dive of scouring and looking at everything I possibly could and who knows how many view, uh, videos on the internet, um, ultimately decided that I thought a Carrera S would be good. I mean, a base just didn't come with enough, in my opinion, for a more, little bit more of a performance gear build. Yeah. Um, GT- GT3 was probably a little too done for me. Um, I don't know that I would do much to a GT3. Um, and the price point is, you know, much different. And so that was a big barrier. Um, and so I started looking at sort of, sort of GTS Carrera S and yeah. ultimately found a car right down the road here in Atlanta, luckily, um, that was an incredibly well-specced Carrera S in that it was almost a GTS spec minus the small amount of additional horsepower in the engine, obviously. Okay. Um, but it came with pretty much everything else under the sun from... PASM to adaptive lighting to Chronos um, Sport Package, you know, you name it. Um, so very well optioned, you know, I think 120, 130 MSRP uh, Carrera S right here in town. Yeah, so more important, yeah, the most important things, like you said, it has the proper steering wheel, correct? I, I don't know what right. it's called. It's in the, dot, it's the, uh, the Dot 2 or Sport Steering Wheel, right? The Sport Steering Wheel. It has the Sport Plus button, correct? Correct, Sport Chrono Package with Sport Plus. Yep. And you have, <clears throat> and you have, um, PSC as well, right? Does it have a PSC? Yeah, it has Porsche Sport Exhaust, um, Porsche Assisted Suspension, um, and Adaptive Headlights. Yeah, and I have to admit, I think the, the things that most people who are looking, anyone who would be looking for a 991 would want those three things, the, the, the steering wheel, the sports exhaust, and the Sport Plus button. I think that's yeah, probably I mean, the key which, three options you'd be looking for in a 991. And the 991.1 is obviously... Uh, like you said, it's better for price point. It's a better price no matter where you are in the world. Uh, it's a naturally aspirated. It's not the turbo. Um, and it has a lot of appeal. Do you think the GTS, because the GTS goes for a lot more money in, you know, from from what I've seen, it goes for a lot more than the S, doesn't it? It's not necessarily worth it, do you think? Well, it, yeah, it tends to be probably a I don't know, fifteen dollars to $20,000 spread on the used car market. Um, you know, I think it's not worth it if you can find the properly spec Carrera S. Yeah. Um, so the, the place that I bought my car, um, and, I, and there are a lot of places like this, so this is not a knock on them, but it was a, um, like a luxury, you know, third party kind of place where they do a lot of luxury aftermarket sales. Okay. I don't, I think a lot of those places, they don't a do the research, but B understand the optionality within Porsche. Right. to put the right amount of value on some of those options. And so I think what they do is they look at mileage and they say, look, it's a Carrera S. 
um, and they price it. And they don't think about that it has PSE and these other things. Uh, okay. And so I think in the used market, you can get a better deal if you find the right uh, spec on a Carrera S than a GTS. Um, that said, you know, the GTS guarantees many of those options. So if you're struggling to find a Carrera S that's optioned well, then yeah, could a GTS be your only option? Sure. But yeah, I think it's a better bang for the buck on the Carrera S. Um, I think. So basically you got a really, you got a really good deal. Yeah. And then this, this Carrera S also tended to be at the lowest end of the spectrum of pricing. So it was something where I didn't want to miss out on an opportunity to get into the car at the price that it was with this yep. set of options. And this uh, same location was also the one making me an incredibly strong offer on the 993. So it really could have been easier. So James at Auto Amateur has a, a Carrera, a 991.1 Carrera. And he said his, his example has the highest, he's, he's been told it has the highest amount of miles on it of any base Carrera 991.1. Did yours have a lot of miles on it when you purchased it? Uh, you know, it wasn't bad. It was about 35,000 miles. Oh, so very low. Yes. That's very uh, low. Yeah, it was just outside of the CPO range and just outside of warranty. So, again, right. that helped on price. Um, but, you know, really just outside. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a lower mileage example. Yeah, I have to admit, when I was watching your YouTube channel and I was still catching up on the air-cooled videos, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's it's gone. We've got 991. <laughs> it was like, okay, Andrew's, yeah. Andrew's thrown a curveball there. Everyone's going to be going, what? You got rid of an air-cooled now for a, for a 991. But I think from what I've seen and what you've been doing so far, it looks like you're going to make it pretty special. What have you – I mean, you don't have to give away what you're planning for the, for the 991 because I know you're going to do that on your channel. But what have you done already? What's what's been completed already? Yeah, and I'm happy to run you through actually the whole thing. So okay, as perfect. you mentioned, have a have, I have a build series going for the 991. You know, the one piece of feedback I actually got a lot on my 993 was um, we loved the videos you did about getting the car and importing the car, and we loved the you know cinematic video you did all of the upgrades. But yes. we missed everything in between. You know, what what, what happened to the yeah. calipers and how'd you get the seats and yeah. all that? So I took that to heart. Okay, and so for the 991, I've been documenting I actually have about 10 episodes sort of queued up already of content um, of everything I'm doing to the car to walk people through that to the extent they want to do it fantastic um, and so the build list for that is fairly extensive um, many of the things I did in 993 but um, doing an aero kit for the vehicle uh, new wheels um, have to do obviously the painted calipers and belts has become a bit of my signature um, so they won't be in the same color of course but uh, doing painted calipers and seat belts in uh, an accented color um, and then some of the more performance oriented things I'm doing to the car aside from styling is going to be um, a tune and so I know there's a tremendous amount of debate about tuning naturally aspirated uh, Porsches in general yes the 991 so I'm going to do a tune and kind of talk about my thoughts, pros, cons, actual real experience. I have not seen a ton of videos on actual user experience before and after on tuning. Okay. So I'm doing that. Um, doing a, uh, an exhaust upgrade. So it does have the PSE, which comes with a valve functionality, which is spectacular. Yes. Uh, I'd like to stay in good graces with my neighbors. But um, but I will be putting a uh, exhaust on the car. Um, I've got a sole performance exhaust on order. Oh, sole uh, performance. Yeah. So you so think, just going to sole performance exhaust, you think the sole performance exhaust sounds Porsche enough? Can I say it in that uh, way? Because I'm a little bit of a... Yeah, no. I'm, I know, I think they're doing great things, but I'm kind of like, when I hear the examples of it, and I said this to James, and I there's something missing. Jacob. There's something missing <laughs> to me, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, so it's... Okay, so the, the sole performance exhaust from 9M1, in my opinion, is... It's a little throatier. It's yeah. a little deeper. 
Okay. Um, I'm just going to do the rear section to start. Okay. So just the valve exhaust in the back. Yes. Um, and videos are really hard to tell, you know, and so I, I have um, luckily experienced one right here in person. A very good buddy of mine, uh, Kyle here in Atlanta, has a 991.1 Cur S with a valve rear section from Soul. Okay. So I've actually been able to hear the car uh, at speed, pulls on the highway, pulls from standing, um, start the whole deal. And um, I do think it sounds Porsche enough in okay. the rear section only. I, my opinion, um, and I think this was my takeaway on James's video on this subject, is that when you add the headers, it definitely does take away more of the Porsche sound. Right, um, right. Now, that's a trade-off, though, because the headers are what really give you any kind of meaningful horsepower boosts on that NA motor. Hmm. And so you're trading power for sound, in my opinion. Neither of those sound like a GT3, though. No. Um, which I think is what your point is, which is kind of the higher pitch. I don't want to say whiny, but I think you know what I mean. Kind of yeah, that higher yeah. flat six sound, almost race car, yes. you know, kind of sound, Le Mans sound. Like that does go away a bit with the soul exhaust, in my opinion, um, but not too much. Um, okay. And I think you trade it for a very unique, um, beautiful sound in okay. the car. So we'll see. I will give my honest opinion when I get this thing. Yeah, like I have to. Time, yeah, I have to say, Andrew, I'm really interested in seeing that video when you put it up. I'm really interested because, like I said, James's video didn't convince me. So I'm interested to see with your um, your version how it actually sounds and and what you think of it. Actually, it could be it'd be good to know. Yeah, I will definitely share that. So yeah, exhaust. Um, I mentioned the tune. Also probably going to do a DSC controller. Um, yes. So maybe a lesser known upgrade for some of those in the community. But um, if you have PASM, especially on your vehicle, uh, it can do wonders. You know, that is such a sophisticated electronically con controlled suspension system to begin mm -hmm. with. You're essentially giving it a new brain. Um, and uh, the car is also lowered. So it's on tech car lowering springs. So it's got um, a little bit of a harsher ride. And so the DSC should help you know, smooth out a bit of that in the city and also give me much more responsiveness and dynamics in the mountains. So, uh, so lots on the list. That's what my, um, 997 Carrera has on it has, I'm pretty sure it has the tech out springs, which were put on by a previous owner. Um, but I'm going to change the suspension, I think to Bilstein when I get back to Australia. Um, but I think that DSC controller is what my mate has, Steve, who does the podcast with me, he has on his GT3. I think he got something, something similar for the for the gt3 i think i think i should remember but i don't yeah they're really interesting they're um subtle from what i understand um you know not not overly perceivable but definitely just create a different feel when you drive the car both smoother and kind of the day-to-day -day. and then also um essentially the car is the dsc controller is taking the sensor inputs from your pasm system and using them to actually dynamically control the suspension on the fly right it's the layperson's explanation and so it's supposed to be much more responsive in cornering uh you know for out across track mountain driving those kinds of things as well the other thing i'm interested in andrew is the wheels that you chose and i noticed them on your <clears throat> on your instagram are they a well-known wheel for porsche i've never heard of that brand before and I, they're don't not. laugh if, they're, so, if they are. They're not? No, they're not. So don't worry. No, you're not out of the know. They look, um, like, a, they so look like a GT3 wheel. Almost. They look like a GT3-ish type wheel. And then you look closer and you can see they're not. But I, I quite like them, actually. I think they're they're a nice design. They are very nice design. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. So I'll tell you a little bit about them. Uh, episode two is on wheels. Okay. And so you'll see the long form version of this on my channel this week. So it'll come out before this podcast there. So we're in the clear. Oh, fantastic. Um, so I'll tell you all about them. They are from a company called Titan 7, uh, based here in the States in California. Um, they Basically, when I set out to look for wheels, I loved the look of the stock GT3 wheel. Um, but one thing I've been really cognizant about with this career S build is to be sure not to put anything on the car that is GT3. That's one, probably one of my biggest pet peeves is, you know, people putting elements of kind of the next, you know, model or two up on their car. It's just trying to be something it's not, it's just not my thing. If, if that's your thing, that's totally cool. Everyone's got their own sort of approach, but, um, I didn't want to put GT3 wheels on, um, I also don't have center locks. And so that wasn't really a viable option. Although, believe it or not, they make that GT3 wheel in a um, 5x130 uh, okay. aftermarket. Um, but I wanted something similar, very open spoke, very thin spoke. I think that those GT wheels, three wheels, might be some of the best stock wheels Porsche's ever put on a car. And so um, I found Titan 7 through the 991 um, Facebook group, um, which is a great group. If you have one and haven't joined that one, I highly suggest it. Um, a gentleman put a picture of his 991 on there with these wheels and I messaged him and said, what in the world are these? They look phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I really wanted forge wheels for the car. Again, you know, this being a little more performance focused, there's a little more, um, cognizant of wheel weight and rigidity and those kinds of things. I've never owned a set of forge wheels, um, for the car. And so I wanted to uh, get forge wheels and, um, was having real heartburn over the price point. You know, most forge wheels from, uh, BBS or, you know, HRE or Boston or whatnot, or, you know, $10,000 a set. And yeah, wasn't prepared expensive. to spend that on this build. Mm. Um, and so found Titan 7, they're in California, and um, their wheels in a 20-inch, fully forged, the ones I have on the car, run about $3,500 shipped for the set of four. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, so called half price. And they don't weigh very much. They don't. Um, so they're just shy of about 20 pounds a piece. Uh, okay. So they're very light. Great. Fantastic. So, um Basically, their deal is they're smaller, um, but what they've done is they've picked like 10 of the most popular cars. So a few BMWs, a couple Porsches, um, some uh, Mazdas, some Subarus, you know, kind of tuner okay. community type of stuff. Um, and they are making wheels in custom offsets. So the offsets are specific to the 991, um, but they only come in like two finishes. Um, and you cannot order offsets that will fit your 997, for instance, Okay. like you could from BBS or HRE, you can get whatever offset you want for those companies, right? Yeah. So that's their whole um, strategy, I think, is we're going to offer a few vehicles and a couple offsets and a couple finishes. We're going to batch order, you know, 50, 100 sets per order. Um, we're going to, you know, kind of do styles that are, you know, well-known and liked, and we're going to sell them at like half the price for Forge wheels. And so I've been incredibly impressed with the wheels. Uh, they are beautiful. They're in satin titanium, um, which is a beautiful soft finish. Yeah, very, the finish is great. The finish yeah, looks sort beautiful. Yeah, sort of motorsport actually. look. Yeah, yeah, so I really like it. And uh, the company's been just really great to deal with. Um, and you cannot beat the price point. And so definitely recommend checking them out if you're looking for for yeah. wheels. Um, I mean, wheels are very personal, as we know. I mean, you know, I my car, when I bought it, and I don't know whether you know this, but it came with Techart Formula wheels. It came with 20-inch Techart Formula wheels on it. Um, which I wasn't keen on, and I changed it back to OEM lobster wheels. But the Techart wheel is a, is a beautiful wheel, and I think it actually worked with the 911. I just didn't want a 20-inch wheel. Um, I think what's nice about the Titans is, is they, they, they suit the Porsche very well. 
when you see them, you know, the images I've seen on your Instagram, it suits, it does actually suit the style of the, of the 991 very, very well. I think that it, it's, it's a great option for people who are, who are struggling to find a wheel, actually. Yeah, I would agree. And they, um, they're smart. I mean, they basically surveyed what has worked, in my opinion. And so um, I get a number of people since I've had these on that um, ask me if they're BBS FIs, for instance, uh, yep. because they look very similar. And so, um, you know, I think they've, you know, done their homework, they know what works, and they're picking wheels that suit that user community, whether that is BMW or Porsche or one of their other brands. And like I said, they're batching kind of a small selection of wheels to keep the price down, and it's working brilliantly. Fantastic. So 991, uh, 991 build series, so the 991, 991 build series, I can't speak tonight, it's late. 991 build series is is starting on your YouTube channel now. You've got a one episode or two episodes up now? So episode one is up um, as we speak now, which is intro and overview. So that'll give you a, hopefully about a 10 minute quick recap of everything I'm planning to do the car and kind of how the build is going to unfold. Yeah. Um, and then many episodes to come. The next one will be out uh, this week and we'll be focusing on wheels. So I think, I think what you should do, I think what the listeners should do, I think you guys, you should, should go to Andrew's channel, 911 South. Um, spelt 911 South. Um, I'll put the link in this podcast, but you should go to Andrew's channel and you should watch um, at least start start at the 993 and see. You get a good indication of Andrew's style, and you'll see how he's he's very precise and, and he he's very for the detail. He, he's really you know he worries about the details. You can see it. And the 993 when he finished it, and also check out his Instagram, which is 911 South. And those images you had done. Andrew, those photographs, it looked fantastic, the 993 in those photographs, absolutely fantastic. Was that a friend of yours that took those photos in the studio? Uh, well, he's become a fast friend. So um, that was a, sh- a session done by uh, a guy named Larry here in Atlanta um, at Winning Auto is his uh, Instagram handle. Very well-known guy in the car photography community, travels all over the world shooting. Um, uh, unbelievable in that he is in his 20s. Um, oh, really? still a student and wow. he's this talented. So great. Couldn't be a nicer guy, incredible talent. Um, and I was browsing his site and I've had, um, some great shoots done. I, I do a lot of photography personally. So I've shot my own car and others here in town a lot, but, um, also scheduled some shoots with like Drew at cool collective and, you know, just some really amazing yep. photographers, yep, uh, I noticed that. great style. What I didn't have any of though was studio shots and it was sort of just, you know, something I'd gotten fixated on of I'd love to shoot this particular car in a studio. And I noticed Larry had several um, pictures and albums up on his Instagram of this kind of, of photography. So I reached out. Um, we had a lot of mutual connections, but hadn't met when I reached out. We scheduled a time and uh, about two weeks later to shoot at a studio just down the street from my house, oddly enough, um, with a CYC wall. So the floor is painted completely white. It's got studio lighting and then a curved rear wall that gives you kind of that infinity effect. Um, and so Larry was great is just under an hour start to finish. Um, beautiful photos that absolutely. I'll cherish forever of the yeah, car. Absolutely. The ironic part is um, when I did that session, I had no intention of selling that car, but I ended up okay. selling it like two weeks, two weeks later, um, you know, or three weeks later, whatever it was. And Larry, when we were doing the shoot, he said, Hey, you know, we've, we've got the studio time booked. Do you want me to you know, just do my artistic shots or whatever. Do you want me to shoot like what I call my sale package, which is literally like the 12 circular angles, you know, every corner, yes. you know, whatever. 
he said, I've got the time. Let me just go ahead and shoot it. You never know. Maybe one day you decide to sell it. You want those photos. Well, in my opinion, the one thing that got me the price that I wanted on the 993 when I sold it to this dealer, they said, do you have any photos of the car? And I sent them a link to Larry's wow. album. And they came back within 15 minutes with a price that I couldn't believe they were willing to offer. So thank, thank you, Larry, for your foresight. <laughs> <laughs> I was almost going to say, yeah, uh, after those photos, you could name your price to the dealer. Yeah, really, uh, having amazing <laughs> photos of your vehicle is something I highly recommend anyone do that love their Porsche. It's personally satisfying, of course. But if you ever do decide to sell your vehicle, I'm a firm believer you can get 10 or 15 or maybe even 20% more when you go to sell a car if you have really high-quality, proper photos. So you'll get Larry to do the same thing with the 991 when you finish the build? Yeah, so he reached out to me, I think, maybe proactively um, and said, hey, I, I see what's cooking over there. Uh, looks like you've got a new build and I can't wait to shoot it. So, yes, that is absolutely on the list. Oh, fantastic. It's done. We're going to have Larry shoot it again, um, maybe in the studio. But the other thing Larry's very good at is rollers, um, driving shots. Oh, okay. And so um, I have not had him do that. And I've only had a few done in the 993. So I think we might head up to the mountains and find some windy roads and have oh, shoot fantastic. Some, uh, shots out of another vehicle of the car. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so everyone should check out check out Andrew's channel, 911 South, and, and watch the 993 build series first. And then the 991 build series, you're getting it right at the beginning. Um, as Andrew said, there's one episode and the second episode will be up, I think, when you're listening to this podcast. So check that out and don't forget to subscribe when you're there because there's one thing I have to say, I'm envious of Andrew. He really does shoot really nice uh, YouTube videos. He does take the time. YouTube videos do take a lot of time. They're not easy. Um, and he, he's, he obviously spends a lot of time taking them and they're, they're really, really good. So what else, Andrew? One, uh, one thing before we go, because I like to keep these under an hour. What's your favorite drive in the US or near where you live? If anyone's well, coming to Atlanta, uh, where should they go? Where, when they can come yeah. to Atlanta, where should they drive? Yeah, well, first off, reach out to me if you do. Um, the entire reason I built this channel and, and spending all those hours on the YouTube videos, like you said, because they take a long time, <laughs> is to selfishly build community. So that's what it's about for me. It's not about showing off my car or anything like that. It's to meet other owners. And that's been such a benefit of this whole thing. But uh, reach out to me if you want info or going to be in town. But we in Atlanta are incredibly um, uh, blessed in the sense that we live within striking distance of what I would consider to be some of the best roads, if not the best roads in the United States. Uh, for driving. And so about three weeks ago, and this is really what set off the bug of thinking about a more modern 911 for a performance build. Three weeks ago, I was up with um, a group of folks uh, that I'm, I'm part of, a PCAR Talk, another podcast. They yes. hosted a, um, you know event up in the Smokies, in the Smoky Mountains, so North Carolina, Tennessee, and Northern Georgia. And so we spent two days driving around um, up there, and it was incredible. Um, it's roads that are technically challenging. So tail of the dragon, everyone's heard of, yes. um, probably that's listening to the channel, lots and lots of turns, a lot of off camber stuff, you know, very technical. Um, but there's also a lot of roads that are longer, what we would call sweepers where you can really run at speed, um, and go through some major elevation changes and, and curvature and, uh, there are overlooks to stop off and, and look at the smoky mountains. And it's just it's absolutely beautiful. Um, a lot of times you're coming in out of clouds. So really the, the entire area of Southern, uh, sort of Southwestern North Carolina, Southeastern Tennessee and Northern Georgia are some of the best roads in the world uh, to drive your portion. They happen to be about two hours from our house. So very lucky in that sense. And um, can't wait to get back up there with the 991 as soon as the build is done. 
Fantastic. That's a great tip. Um, thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. I think your story is, you know, it, from when you've your father first bought that 911 to to today is just a great story. I mean, so many, like I said, you've got so many 911 stories and you've experienced now, you know, two water cools and, and one air cooled. And I know it's not going to be, be your last. Um, how long do you think you'll keep the 991 for? <laughs> I've been asked this question uh, many times in the last month since I got it. Um, you know, when I got the 993, I said I was going to keep it for quite some time. And so I think the one lesson I learned is, I don't know how long I'm going to keep the 991 is probably the right answer. Um, I think once the build is done, I'm going to want a proper amount of time to really experience it. I think some of the things that move me to the 991 away from the 993 from a comfort and convenience and sort of new element will probably keep me in the 991 a bit longer. Um, but, you know, I'd love to own a 964. I would love to own a 914 or if I could afford it or find the right one, a 914.6 or something 9, 14, like that. 6, I mean, yeah. Yeah, there's just there's such a long list. And I do think the one thing I've learned about myself is that uh, I'm a bit more of a builder than a maintainer. And so I get stir, stir crazy and bored a little bit when something's done. Um, and so assuming I can't have five or six of these things in the driveway, because I probably um, will not remain married, um, it may be <laughs> a swap out in the near future to do another build. Who knows? Is um, a GT3 a GT3 on the list? I would love to own a GT3 um, at some point, either... A 991, maybe dot two. Point two, or yeah. manual. Yeah, or a nine or a 997 um, GT3. A buddy of mine here in, in Atlanta has an absolutely beautiful white 997 uh, GT3 on gold E88s. I mean, it's it's, yeah, it's a fantastic and car. So, if he ever decides to sell that, then maybe I'll <laughs> get that. But I, there's so much to this brand, and I think it would be naive to say that I'm going to keep this car forever. Um, I also hopefully won't put this much work into and keep it for three months. So let's say somewhere in between. It's hard to stop at one, isn't it? That's for sure. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, on the Porsche School podcast. It's been great. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been uh, really fun. And uh, like I said, thank you for, for sharing that story. It's a, it's a great story. So all the listeners out there, yeah, please go to um, Andrew's YouTube channel. 911 South. I'll put it in, in, in this podcast in the description and I'll also put it on Instagram as well. Um, and also his Instagram is the same, right, Andrew? 911 South? That's correct. All spelled out. All spelled out. Um, but lots of great, like I said, lots of great pictures, lots of great footage. And the one thing I didn't touch on today, if you really like keeping your car, car clean and detailing, which I do, I love cleaning my car. Uh, Andrew's got some great detailing videos where he details his car on his channel as well. I forgot to mention that, Andrew. You are a bit of a detail, um, a detailed uh, expert yeah. as well. I am. That's a whole other uh, podcast episode. That's another story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrew. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, this is a Porsche Gould podcast. Um, this is Porsche Gould Owner Stories, and we'll talk again soon. Bye for now.